Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Podcast Network, SoCal Sweat. My name is Ann McDaniels, a former NFL cheerleader and product manager turned actress and model who dreams of being a UFC fighter. Yow. Learning strategies to help motivate others leads me to bring you interviews each week from a range of athletes, experts in fitness and nutrition, and so much more. Thanks for listening to Believe, the number one podcast for working professionals, and let's push our endorphins to higher performance through SoCal Sweat. This is your host, Ann McDaniels, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of SoCal Sweat. Today we're going to be talking about a shame-free approach to food and body image. Now, what contributes to that? There are four factors that actually affect our body image, and these factors include family environment, ability or disability, the attitudes of peers and friends, social media, cultural background, and more. And what are the negative effects to body image? This could be being teased about appearance in childhood, growing up in a household where emphasis is placed on appearance of a particular ideal body size or shape parents and other family members experiencing their own body dissatisfaction and engaging in dieting or weight control behaviors. Add sports, add friends, add dance classes, add stress from work, add comparisons with social media and advertising, and it can result in a bad negative body image. Well, I'm very excited to bring on my guest today. This is Cheryl Paterman. Cheryl is an internationally trained and certified mind, body, nutrition, and wellness practitioner, as well as an expert in relieving stress and anxiety management, conscious relationships, and nutritional psychology. Her company is called Nourishment Vitality. It is a great honor to introduce my guest, Cheryl Perturman of Nourishment Vitality. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? I'm so excited to have you on today. So, Anne, firstly, thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show. I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, Hello to all of your listeners. It's a real pleasure to be um, speaking with you all here today, together with Anne. Um, I am an internationally trained mind, body, nutrition and a wellness practitioner. I'm also an expert in stress relief and anxiety management, conscious relationships and in nutritional psychology. Fascinating connection between the brain, body and behavior. And I'm so excited to jump into an awesome conversation with Anne. Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited to have you. And who doesn't love food, especially during the pandemic? And everybody has to eat. So it's not like something that is a drug or, or though it, it can be misconstrued as a drug when it comes to addiction. Now, why, what, was your, what was your background in health? Did you grow up in sports, dance? What led the way? And also, how was your household structured with nutrition and emphasis on health? I've never actually been asked that question about uh, how was my household actually structured with nutrition and in health. And it's so important because so much of our food story is based in our actually in our actual history and in our food story as such. In my childhood, Anne, um, was nutrition and health a big deal? Not so much, actually. Not so much. Um, 
health was uh, was just something that that I felt vitality energy is something that I just that I just felt for, for most of my childhood um, it was more towards my um, how old could I say that I was getting 13 14 where I began to start stressing about weight stressing about body image where that may have become the main topic of conversation say with friends and um, I must say that I don't think that it uh, was uh, one momentous uh, occasion where I can actually think back and say that I actually looked in the mirror and I had the desire to 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 change what I saw through diet, through actual nutrition. Um, yet, at some point, I began to assign value to how I looked and uh, to, to be able to, to feel uh, more worthy and to feel more accepted and to somehow fit in the beauty norms of the time. And so, you know, that, that feeling of if I could only be a little bit uh, slimmer or be a little bit stronger or be a little bit prettier or be a little bit something else. And that's when I began to pay real attention to the foods that I was eating, to the nutrition um, that I was uh, taking in on a day in, day out uh, basis. And I so began my dieting history, so to speak, and my restriction of food, so to speak. And uh, and so I went on many, many uh, fad diets as a, as a teenager. Um, and it began an unhealthy cycle for me of yo-yo dieting and going from fad diet to fad diet and going on impossible restrictive diets that I just couldn't keep up with, that I couldn't have the vitality and the energy that, that um, as a young girl I actually needed. So, and you know, today, uh, just fact for every, everyone that's listening, girls as young as five years old, uh, five to 10 years old today are becoming aware of their bodies and uh, are already starting to um, want to go on diets. It's, uh, it's becoming much, much more um, um, prevalent am amongst our young, young uh, uh, teenagers and amongst our young today because they're watching their parents and collectively the message that we fed um, out there of how it is that we need to look and what it is that we need to actually be eating amongst this, all this uh, nutritional chaos and confusion. So yes, I would say that uh, as, a young, as a young person, I tried many, many different avenues, many different nutritional um, ways of eating, many different diets. I failed. I um, experienced small wins. I tried all the, all the quick fixes. Uh, I tried again. And uh, I continued to experiment with different diets and different ways. And it led me on a very unhealthy pattern and uh, self-sabotaging pattern of behavior and years, decades of uh, being on that dieting wagon and falling off and self-sabotaging unhealthy patterns and behaviors. Cheryl, I can't imagine because you must have had Twiggy at that point, didn't you, in the magazines? Wasn't that a really, wasn't she a really big model during that time? And that was the coveted look, like absolutely anorexic paper thin with the, with the short blonde hair and the, and the big eyelashes. Was, are, are you familiar with that image? Because that was a, 
permanently stamped on that generation. Yes, absolutely. And uh, collectively, this is the, the images that have been uh, put out there. You have to look a certain way to, uh, to be accepted, to be loved, to be, to be worthy. And uh, so you, you're always striving to be thinner, be prettier, be something else and, it's, and aspiring to look like someone else. And as we know, with the social media um, that uh, is out there today, and all the filters that are out there today, our kids are struggling to uh, fit into a beauty ideal that is uh, false, that is, that is not actually possible to reach. And it is creating a lot of negative body image, which takes uh, so much years, really, to, to come out of a negative body image is when you feel unhappy about the way you look, you have a low self-esteem and, uh, and, and it becomes very important to teach our children um, how to um, accept who they are as, as human beings and characteristics other than what it is that they look like and how to actually cultivate. This is what I work with a lot of actual families on how to cultivate a culture of health and well-being within the home and to have those uh, necessary conversations with our children. Our children are looking to us for how to be in this world. And if we as, 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 as parents are always looking in the mirror or, or shying away from pictures because we don't like the way we look we are sending messages out to our to our kids as well so it becomes very important to bring in uh, helping our children grow up with a strong body image a positive body image of who they are as human beings and that they are good enough as they are absolutely and Cheryl where do you find that gray area because I'm not sure if you see it as much in Israel but in America we have a lot of body positivity and the cover of Cosmo was very controversial in December and January, where they, where they depicted very overweight women on the cover and multiple covers and on inside covers saying, this is, this is healthy. However, and, and it's wonderful on one side, of course you should embrace your body and you're beautiful, absolutely. But as fitness professionals or people in the nutrition space, are you giving a falsehood just to sell a magazine and this is cosmopolitan. They're not here to sell nutrition. They're there to sell magazines. And that, that magazine's based on sexual relationships and fashion and, and, and beauty. And how do you dare say this is healthy when that's the wrong message? And particularly that was during the pandemic, during the height of the pandemic. It just seemed irresponsible. So how do you feel on the body positivity movement? Because it seems to be going more and more like, yes, we can covet ourselves if we're absolutely morbidly obese, that's okay. And we should feel confident and people are beautiful in every single way, but when it goes to diabetes and stroke and heart issues, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a body positivity thing in general. I believe, Anne, that through the pandemic, there have been so many jokes, messages online, um, and I know that they're well-intended, about dieting, about weight, about productivity. Again, that may be well-intended, but it could be causing further feelings of shame or like there's something wrong with you and that there's been a lot of fat shaming that's actually going on out there. And 
for so many people, what's actually happening is their human bodies is, is under stress. And the only way forward is to actually go within and meet yourself with some level of kindness and, uh, and understanding to, to find your, your way forward and regain your, your, your sense of presence and motivation. It becomes necessary to first address um, address really uh, the way that you're actually feeling. So whether it's stress that you're actually feeling and um, to actually address um, the, the, the foods that you're eating as well, because we do need to, at the end of the day, feel well, to feel well. But answering your question of, well, body positivity, is it a good thing or, or is it not a good thing? I believe that at the end of the day, it is very important to teach people to, um, and this is what I teach within my practice as well, a kind mindfulness. You have to be committed to being uh, kind to yourself as you are. I always tell my, my clients that in order to have the body that you want, you have to want the body that you have. Now, we're always aspiring to be like someone else and to look like somebody else. Well, there are many overweight people that are healthy the way that they are, and there are very many skinny people that are unhealthy the way that, that, that they are. So um, our actual weight doesn't define our actual state of health. However, the foods that we eat, and if we are continually choosing unhealthy choices at the end of the day, this can lead to... Um, and um, in a situation where our body um, is crying out with, with, with unhealthy long-term symptoms, diabetes, um, areas of uh, obesity where it gets to a place where it isn't healthy anymore. But to celebrate bodies, I believe that all bodies are beautiful. All bodies are beautiful. They Agreed. come in different shapes. They come in different sizes. Their, their romance doesn't come in a size. Mm -hmm. And all bodies are worthy of love. It should be celebrated. There is no one size that, that, that is a specific ideal. And I think that it is the, um, the message that goes out there that says collectively you have to look a certain way in order to feel loved. That, that, that actually uh, can do a lot of harm and, and make a lot of people feel like they need to shrink to feel loved or to feel worthy or that they don't deserve to take up space. Well, they do. And I'd like to be the voice for those people to say, um, no matter what it is that you're going through right now, in order to have the body that you want, you have to want the body that you have. And that starts with looking at yourself with kindness, with compassion, and with tremendous appreciation for the things that your body can do. And for a lot of people, that's really hard to do. Are the foods that we eat important? Sure. Um, do, do a lot of people want to actually shape shift and get to a certain size or shape? That's fine. No worries. You can do that. But at the same time, there are healthier ways to get there. And a lot of people are taking that unhealthy route because of that tremendous pressure from magazine covers, from um, um, social media, TikTok, social media that's, that's saying you have to look a certain way. Filters that are making waistlines so small that it's impossible. It's an impossible ideal to actually reach. Or they put, or some bodybuilders will put up a picture of the day that they were on stage 
But today they look nothing like that, but yet they're posting that picture. Um, something that I'm really interested in is there's a lot of, are you familiar with TikTok? The yes, 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 okay. yes. I'm, I'm not on TikTok, um, sure. but I'm familiar of it. And a lot of my clients, because uh, I work with a lot of teens, of course, are on that. Perfect. Okay. Well, there is there are so many dietrics out there on TikTok, and there's so much mixed messaging on TikTok. And everybody is a nutritionist. Everybody's a fitness professional. And I say that in quotes because that's not the case. There's so much danger in it, yet there's some there's some good things too. I mean, I interviewed a nutritionist who puts all of her wonderful, you know, meals on there and that's, and it's all nutritious and it's body positive, but there's also other ones in showing, you know, you need to do Atkins or you need to do such and such. Where do you, where do we draw the line? And also, I guess another, another underlying question I have is what if you were to grow up in a certain religion? For example, I was raised Russian Orthodox. There is there are so many dates of fasting. And for my own issues, this already came into play with the fasting of the religion. And I love it because it's, it's a lot of disciplinary actions and I understand where it comes from. But sometimes even the religion and your upbringing can exacerbate some of these problems in the household or in your own mind. Have you seen that? Because you're so international and you're so well-traveled. I'm sure you've worked with many different religions. And do you ever see maybe a direct correlation with some of these fasting practices, like for example, Ramadan, where they don't eat for, you know, almost a 24 hour period. Do you ever see that parlaying into eating disorders or just maybe misshapen images of their own body, even though it comes from a good place? Even though it comes from a good place, exactly. However, um, absolutely the culture that we, uh, that we live in and the uh, disciplines that we adopt, they do. Uh, have an impact on our patterns and on our behaviors. And um, absolutely, sometimes it can, depending on the person, because every, every, every person is a unique individual, but it can sometimes spiral an unhealthy pattern and behavior of eating. Mm -hmm. And uh, for others, it's just something that they do and uh, it doesn't affect them. They can However, take it or leave it. Exactly. However, um, can it affect patterns and behaviors with, with eating and uh, can this develop into an unhealthy pattern and behavior that can develop into a more serious condition? A hundred percent. As far as the nutritional chaos and confusion out there, and it is a jungle out there. It's an absolute jungle out there, even amongst the experts. They're arguing. It's an absolute jungle out there. And um, eat this, eat that, do it this way, do this diet, do that, do that diet. So um, I believe that there is a nugget of wisdom in every system that's out there. And uh, at the end of the day, we need to take and learn from each system and experiment with what works for us, for our metabolism. I believe that how we eat more important than just what we eat, can often um, reflect what's going on with us in our lives. Food affects our mood in so many ways. So with um, nutrition, with, with, the, with well-being, with mind-body nutrition, which is the approach that I take, it's the study of how our digestion, how our assimilation, how our calorie burning, how all the nutritive functions of the body are impacted 
at the end of the day by our mind, by our emotions, and by our lifestyle. It's the psychophysiology of how our thoughts, our feelings, and how our beliefs, how stress and relaxation, how pleasure, how being aware, more aware, um, and more uh, directly um, how uh, awake we are at the actual table can influence how we metabolize our meal. So in other words, what we eat is only half the story of nutrition, but the other half is who we are as eaters. And that's a big part of the puzzle that's often missing out there. Absolutely. And it all stems from something in childhood or maybe something that maybe someone heard by someone else. It could be a comment. Maybe you got a comment when you were 13, or maybe you just saw that picture and that planted the seed. Now, when you were in your household, did anybody notice that you were yo-yo dieting or was that just not talked about? Because I think that too many people sweep it under the rug or in some families, it's constantly talked about in, in your face. And then everybody has a problem because everyone's watching everybody else. And besides that, you speak about um, just, you know, we're, we're, everyone's being watched and it's a jungle out there on the diets. On the other side of that, there's a jungle out there with the advertisements of the Starbucks whip drinks and and um, the, the newest fast food joint coming out with another burger that has, it's even, maybe it's not quadruple, maybe it's a quintuple burger and with a new sauce and it's also convenient. So there's just, we, I love that you say that it's a jungle out there on the diet side and it's even bigger jungle out there with cheaper foods, more more and it's, sexy it's, it's always it's always been that way you know weight mm -hmm. it's gain and it's loss it's one of the biggest conundrums of our times mm -hmm. if there was a magic pull to to just to, to just uh, uh, have it all together and there was a strategy out there that one system to fit all we would have found it by now yes and advertising diets foods made to be sexy and seductive and uh, yes there is so much out there that's actually um because of the actual diet industry and because of who's funding um, these these advertising etc at the end of the day mm -hmm. so there is a lot of nutritional systems there's a lot of new diets out there and again um, we need to find what works for us for our uh, metabolism and uh, to be able to explore and experiment with foods that actually feel nourishing for us. I believe that nourishment is not only what we eat, it's what we feed ourselves on a mental, physical, and on a psychological level. And it doesn't always come down to eat more of this, eat less of that, include more of these foods, take these new supplements, etc. Sometimes, in fact, most times, in fact, I actually think all of the time, our emotions affect our physical and there's always a good reason that's based either in psychology or in biology for our patterns, for our behaviors, be that whether it's with just our, our, our food patterns and behaviors, um, be it that whether it's a discipline that we've, that, that's now triggered into an unhealthy pattern of eating. So at the end of the day, um, there's always a good reason based either on, in psychology or in biology for our patterns and for our behaviors. And this spills over into our eating uh, challenges as well. Okay. Now, when you, when you put on seminars and everything like that, do you work with all types? Do you work with the overweight and do you work with different eating disorders, whether it be anorexia or bulimia or orthorexia? 
what and what do you have a, a favorite that you feel most connected to where you make the biggest impact and 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 how do you work with people with the pitfalls and successes because i mean i just was noticing a picture on one of your websites where someone was walking by the donut how do some people can't handle the bulk if they're near a buffet like a las vegas buffet for example or even like in film i work in film and television some people walk by the craft services table, which is a monstrous spread of wonderful food. And it's constant eating, it's constant eating. And you're there for maybe a 12, 14 hour shoot day. And it's mindless snacking all day where the person's already had like maybe 18 cookies and it, it isn't even lunchtime yet. How do you, how would you train someone? And I know it goes deep in psychology who mindless snacks, because as we know, that's where so many calories come in of the mindless snacking. And especially during the pandemic, I'll just have a little bit of this. Hmm, I'll just have a little bit of this. That all adds up. That's almost more than a meal in some cases. Do you have people keep food journals? Is that one of your tactics? You know, I've actually got a fantastic uh, article on mindful eating that was published in the Elephant Journal. Um, and mindless eating is the opposite of being mindful when you're eating. Now, most people, when they're actually overeating or even binge eating, and there's a difference, um, you know, binge eating's got more of that devouring wolf-like energy, that you're actually checked out when, you, when, when you're in the middle of a, a binge or when you're actually overeating. Sometimes even when you're just snacking mindlessly, you are checked out, you are not present. So you are still the question, about um, what is it that, uh, how do I actually train people? And uh, I, can, I can go into a, a, a little briefing of this, but of course, at the end of the day, each person is different. I do individual. realize that, sure. And uh, every person's story reveals uh, a deeper wisdom of what it is that they, that they need to learn and where it is that they need to grow. Um, as far as eating disorders, as such, I am a mind body um, eating coach. I work with eating psychology dynamics, dynamic eating psychology, mind body nutrition. And I'm uh, really glad that you asked that question. So many people, when they hear dynamic eating psychology, oh, well, do you only work with um, people that have eating disorders, anorexia, or bulimia? At the end of the day, I work with people that have eating challenges and people that are eaters. I work very much with people that overeat, binge eat, emotionally eat, stress eat, um, under eat sometimes. And dynamic eating psychology actually recognizes that our eating challenges and the root causes of them are often because of other life stresses, be that whether, whether that may be um, within our life or within our relationships or within our career. And I believe it's very important to address these issues at the root cause so that one can move forward cultivating healthier habits and at the end of the day, a healthier lifestyle. Now, so many people actually turn to food for comfort and they stress eat. And stress eating, often referred to, well, we, we know this as emotional eating or stress eating, it's 
can be triggered by stress. It can even be triggered by a poor body image. And uh, a lot of people come to me because they say, I can't stop eating because I'm stressed all the time or because I am mm -hmm. munching mindlessly all the time. I'm snacking mindlessly all of the time. Well, emotional eating can actually override your cognitive part of the brain because it is a powerful behavioral cycle. You understand, okay, I shouldn't be doing this all the time, but you keep doing this. And most people think that emotional eating is only about self-control. It's only about discipline. If only I had more willpower, but in actual fact, and the problems run much deeper. Emotional eating can be triggered to or stress eating or overeating or binge eating or even under eating. It can be triggered to cope with, with, with big changes, major life events, general stresses, um, any kind of emotion, sometimes even just being overly excited, simply to satisfy emotional needs. But the first step, and this is so important, and it's a major step that I actually uh, help my clients with, is to become aware. I teach awareness, to become aware of your uh, patterns and your behaviors. Because when you become aware of something, then you get to be able to uh, become more of the authority of how you choose to transform your experience. So I, it's, it's often about taking that deeper dive and to ask yourself, well, what's going on here? What am I actually hungering for here? What am I actually really craving? Am I physically hungry? Have I not eaten enough during the day? Sometimes we, we find ourselves um, snacking that turns into overeating that may turn into um, continually munching through the evening because we We're didn't starving. eat enough. Right. Yep. We didn't actually physically eat enough during the day. Perhaps we haven't had enough calories during the day. Our uh, body is actually physically hungry. So it becomes very important to become aware. Is this a physical hunger? Is this an emotional hunger? And it becomes important to, when I say become aware, that means for the beginning, just notice. This is something that um, requires that you actually start to strengthen, I call it your inner observer, your inner observer muscle. So if you're feeling you've had a bad day and you're just feeling sad for whatever reason, or you're feeling stressed, you had a hard day that day, there was a lot happening or overwhelmed or lonely or even angry. Notice it. Don't suppress it. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend that it's not there. Validate your emotions. It's so important to recognize, process your emotions. Think about them. And ask yourself, what's underlying? Is there an underlying negative thought that's going on and you can actually just create a checklist for yourself of what it is um, that's actually going on for yourself so as far as the food, as far as the actual journal i always believe that journaling is an extremely powerful way to to get clarity to bring in that awareness take that pen to paper write out what's actually going on with yourself read over it see does anything jut out are there any aha moments and ask yourself again that powerful question. What am I hungry for? What am I actually craving? So if it's that you are, um, if Maybe. it's let's say, that, 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 that you're actually lonely, okay? And so you are craving connection. Mm -hmm. So you're going to that ice cream for, for your connection. 
Is that ice cream going to actually satisfy your connection, uh, your your feeling for connection? Temporarily in the moment, yes, because food, when you actually, uh, in the moment, it will flood your your body with feel-good chemicals. But if the whole time, you uh, you you keep going to that tub of ice cream for connection, it's not going to satisfy your craving for connection. So you need to become aware. And if it's if it's a connection you're craving, what can you do? Call a friend, um, reach out to somebody, take that pen to paper, how, ask yourself, how can I support myself best in this moment? Go for a walk. These are great tips. These are wonderful tips, Cheryl, because I think so many people are just not aware or maybe it's too painful and they don't want to go back to their core. And you mentioned, I'm very interested in the fact that you mentioned wolf-like eating because I had talked to someone that I was mentoring and she said that when she goes to Krispy Kreme, once she opens that box and she starts to eat, she literally feels high. She, it's almost like a warmth comes over her, almost like a drug like heroin. When you put that needle in and you just have a warm, kind hug, and she described it as such. And I, I think that it does have very drug-like maybe symptoms on the body. Do you, do you feel that, that that is the case? And is that scientifically proven that you can really, it's almost like a drug high? They say that uh, sugar is extremely uh, addictive. And at the end of the day, um, it becomes important again to choose your actual foods um, with some level of awareness. Um, when we are in a full-blown binge, again, it's a devouring wolf-like energy that does take over and you just want more of it and you just want more of it. It feels out of control. It feels as if the binge has got a control over you and you're not done with it until you're actually done with it. And so many of us, I mean, myself included, went through the cycle so many times. It's afterwards that feeling of shame and guilt and regret and anger that uh, doesn't serve us well in that moment. And then that those feelings of the shame and the regret and the anger then want to uh, take us back to the actual behavior to get that high, to actually get the, um, the false fix because in the moment, it feels good. In the moment, it is satisfying. In the moment, it is actually... Euphoric. Um, um, exactly. In the, in the actual moment. And very important. And so many people don't actually know this, but it's really important to actually slow down when you're eating, even if you're binging. Because the brain, the, the, the CPDR, cephalic phase digestive response, okay, fancy name for taste, pleasure, uh, smell and aroma, needs to be awakened so that the brain actually understands that, hey, food's gone into the mouth, into my digestive system. Now, when we eat at a rapid pace, what we're doing is we're putting our body in a physiologic state of stress. So when you put your body in that state of stress response, your uh, digestion partially your, uh, shuts down, your metabolism partially shuts down. So you're not even going to be absorbing the maximum amount of nutrients out of that body because you're eating in a state of actual stress. Even if you are eating unhealthy food, even if you are eating that Krispy Kreme donut, slow down when you're eating it because that will help you to 
um, calm down the actual binge. And so often one doesn't actually have a full-blown binge when you actually allow yourself to slow down and give your brain and your cephalic phase digestive response a chance to awaken and understand the food's actually gone into the body. Because when we eat at a rapid pace, our body's in that stress response and we land up eating even more food. And then it's just empty calories. So what a waste. Do you recommend drinking water between sometimes, like my grandfather chewed, I think 25 times each time, then he drank water and then he went back to chewing. He was very slow and methodical, but he was also very thin and very regimented. So there's, there's gotta be a happy medium, but I think it's fascinating that you say you don't even digest the food anyway, when you're in that wolf-like state. No, and, you don't. It's, and, and also why don't we not, you know, we should slow down because like you said, the taste, the pleasure, the smell, the aroma, food is wonderful. Food should be enjoyed. Meals should be enjoyed. It all stems from happiness because we eat food around at, at a wedding, at a birthday, when we sit down with our, with our loved ones, it should be something to enjoy, but it does become, you know, a wolf-like drug or, you know, scary when on the bulimic side and on the overeating side, on the anorexic side. So I like that you say slow down because the digestion is better. Even that alone should, should convince someone to really be mindful of that. Um, again, these are really wonderful tips. I'm glad that you said that food should be enjoyed. Absolutely. Why do we have taste buds? For our pleasure. Right. We're supposed to. Now there is a metabolic power um, in pleasure. So we, as human beings, we are programmed, right, to seek pleasure and to avoid pain. Now, when we eat, we're often seeking pleasure. We're seeking the pleasure of food. We're avoiding the pain of hunger. And uh, we are designed for a body that's wired for, jo for, for joy. So it becomes very important to allow oneself to bring that pleasure component in. And a lot of the time when people actually uh, restrict a lot, the other areas in their life where they actually deny themselves pleasure as well. Because it should be enjoyed and it's fun and it's and it tastes delicious if you can, but like you said, we want to avoid pain, which would be avoiding like intermittent fasting or things like that. And that, again, if we can just touch on quickly, intermittent fasting is one of the biggest diet trends right now, which I think is, I think is great in certain cases, but when you say that you deprive yourself all day, that's when you become ravenous. And there's a danger in intermittent fasting, unless you are maybe doing it for a specific reason. Maybe you have to lose, but intermittent fasting doesn't, like you say, one size does not fit all. Everybody is different. And that is so important. And again, these things are being advertised on TikTok and all the, over the Instagrams. And, and it's just, um, Who's, who's, the, who's the authority and you pick and choose and people take it to the extreme and that's where things get dangerous. Where, so I do think it's important. You must work with parents a lot of children. Do you... I, I do, but I, I, I like what you said that, uh, uh, you know, who's the authority? You the authority. You get to choose what's right for you. You get to experiment and play around with different systems, with just different nutritional nuggets of wisdom out there. I don't specifically advocate for any one, whether it's intermittent fasting or whether it's uh, keto. Or everybody needs to do what's right for them. Often you have a health coach that will say, or, you know, that this worked for me, so it must work for you. No, 
you need to play around with. When I when I work with uh, with with my clients, we do a very intensive uh, uh, background and a um, onboarding session where we actually go into all these different details so that we can actually start to formulate strategies and plans that will work for them. Again, it comes down to there is no one size fits all. Everybody is different. Therefore, our solutions need to be different. Absolutely. Now, Cheryl, it's really interesting because I've had friends or people that I mentor that are absolutely terrified to go to the grocery store. And they, they love the fact that Postmates exists and, and all of these Instacart exists because they literally get anxiety going into the grocery store. And I always say, you know, it, something to, to keep be mindful of is shopping the perimeter. You always have the most nutritional foods for the most part on the perimeter, whether it be the produce, the dairy, things like that. How, I mean, do you ever take a client into a grocery store, for example, and walk them through and teach them how to prepare meals? Because meal prep seems to be a, just a monstrosity of stress for some people. And so then therefore they order Postmates for every meal. I live in a great building and I can barely get in and out of the garage sometimes because of all the deliveries that are constantly coming in. And although that's convenient and people are working from home and and again, it's very convenient and people are working from home. So I understand, but for every meal, number one, that's quite costly. And number two, as we know, the even restaurant calories, when they're posted, are not as low as they say. Usually, it's almost like 150 calories or 200 calories more that's been proven. Um, and we don't know the extra oils. Maybe the, maybe the cook will add a couple extra shots of olive oil to make it delicious. And again, it is absolutely delicious. And I'd, would I rather have the fast food than the, the stuff I prepare at home for my own satiety and pleasure? Absolutely but we make conscious choices. So how do you, you know, do you ever walk people through these specific behaviors during the day that they may face? Absolutely. This is what, this is part of what I do. And, uh, you know, depending on, uh, on what my clients needs are a hundred percent. A lot of people, uh, do stress about meal prep and meal prep becomes very important being prepared and their smart hacks that uh, that we go through to help them to be prepared for that. Again, it comes down to understanding what what the client's needs are. As far as uh, um, should I have a you know going into a restaurant and yes, the calories are a little bit more of this and 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 the oils are different with that. I I always teach at the end of the day balance and moderation, balance and moderation. So it's the dose. It's the dose. It's the amount that you actually have. So if you're in a restaurant and you choose a little bit of some of something else that's out of the ordinary, that something that's supposedly on, on, let's say, your bad food list. And again, food doesn't have a moral value. It's not good and it's not bad. It just is. But people have toxic nutritional beliefs. Um, it's okay. It's the dose that makes the poison. So it comes down to balance and moderation. Balance and moderation. And what does that actually mean? If you think about, do you remember in, in, a, um, in a playground, when, when you were a kid, you have these seesaws. And on the one hand, you've, you've got, uh, you have two kids on a seesaw, right? So let's say um, one kid's up in the air. On the one hand, you've got, uh, you've got 
restriction and strict rules and got to have an X amount of calories and numbers and got to waste a certain amount. And on the other side, you've got overindulgence, overdoing it, um, having too much, go binging, etc. What needs to happen? Both children have to lift their feet. I'm using children because they're on a, a seesaw in order to reach that middle ground, right? That's where you actually get that, that uh, balance. And balance becomes a very important concept that we can bring into our food habits and into our food behavior. So whether you're at a restaurant, whether you're shopping for the groceries and you, and, and you land up taking stuff on your list that, that's a no-no for you, relax a little bit about that, give yourself some permission and it comes down to balance and moderation. It's the dose. It sounds wonderful. That sounds like it balances happiness if we could all get there. And it, in, when you say the, rest, the balance and moderation, uh, in a perfect world that is that is excellent and we could we would do the serving sizes but look at the serving sizes i mean look at like what a half a cup would be a serving of something maybe cereal yeah i i'm a cereal lover i think it's a half a cup that's a serving i mean that that's a joke it's an absolute joke and then you have the cereals out there i used to work for general mills and i and cereals have become just so delicious i mean the last time i looked at the cereal shelf there was um I think they copied like a, like a Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, everything is bringing branding of candy into the cereal aisle. I mean, the Reese's, the Reese's Puffs from General Mills cereal are absolutely delicious. And so it becomes a candy-like, candy-like substance in the cereal, but you only can have half a cup. It, it seems like a joke. So I feel like the serving and, and sizes. Who, and, and, and who is profiting off this at the, the end of the government. day? Government. Government, so of course. It, it becomes... It, 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 is, it is a situation, you know, and our food quality is important at the end of the day. Our food quality definitely is important and it comes down to the advertising and the food being made to look a certain way so that it, it, it looks like it tastes good. And so you want to, you, you want to have that, but the actual uh, nutrient value of it is very low. Absolutely. And a lot of people blame the government. A lot of people will blame fast food restaurants. A lot of people will blame magazines. But like you said, it's our own awareness. We make the decisions at the end of the day. Where do you see that the blame being placed, if anything? Do you see that the government could take more responsibility or is it just, this is capital profits, this is what we have to do. And also if we take the funding away, then we're gonna lose other segments. People are gonna lose jobs. So it's kind of a monster. And like when you say it's a jungle out there, that's a jungle out there too. And they're all competing. Where do you feel that blame should be maybe placed if, if so or if not so? You know, what, what, what I do at, at Nourishment Vitality and through our programs and through our courses and through our online uh, programs that we actually um, put out there, we believe in um, empowering through education. Empowering through education. And I think this is a very important concept to empower through education. So with my programs that I, that, that, that I um, my online courses and my online programs, what we do is we teach and we do empower in, through education so that the people that are learning from our courses, it's like their first line of defense. You get to um, take some level of responsibility, okay, able to respond to your own health care and take some level of responsibility in your own hands so you become your best authority, you become your best health advocates because um, there is 
so much overwhelm within the systems that are out there already. And uh, so what we can do is that we can educate and we can teach and we can teach people to take some level of, of responsibility of their own health care in their own hands so that their um, symptoms um, can be dealt with in the early stages before their symptoms are crying out and it becomes a um, more serious consequences down the line. I love that you say that because it, sh it does, it should start very young in education. And it reminds me of a wonderful documentary I saw on Japanese children. They are taught nutrition in like the kindergarten stage. And they also learn to prepare meals after they learn to prepare meals and they literally have their little aprons. They serve their, they serve their peers. And then the other, then they, then they do the dishes and then they swap. So they take turns serving each other and doing meal prep and preparing the meals. So already the nutrition is already ingrained in their minds of, of proper meal prep and, and also that food should be enjoyed, shared, and that nobody's above anybody else. So I just think it's such a wonderful education. And you talk about empowering with education. Unfortunately, in the Americans, you know, we're, we're strapped for money in the education system. And that, that's very expensive to do, but not not undoable. And I agree with you. And I was raised in a household where I was very aware of nutrition. And I feel very lucky that I was kind of educated in that household. But was was did they teach that in school? Not really. And if anything, no. it was just not in my day. Absolutely. Not. Yeah, not at all. So I just think that I love your empowering through education. And this is something that I want to do is help going with school systems. But then again, like living in Los Angeles, I've seen that the MOTS apple juice and orange juice machines are donated into the inner city schools. Well, that's wonderful. You know, that's great that they're provided with that, but they don't have drinking fountains. The drinking fountains are rusty. So instead the kids are getting Mott's apple juice and orange juice, where as we know, kids shouldn't really have juice that earlier in their stages. I mean, if they're, if they're in middle school, that's fine, but that's all sugar. That's not, that's not water going into their systems. It's all it's all sugar and they metabolize badly. And then that already opens them up to obesity at a young age, just, you know, and then that addiction to sugar. So it's just, and yet Mott's is only making a donation to help. So it's all of these, you know. It's all of this. And at the end of the day, change begins with me, with you, with those that are listening. Yeah. Don't think that uh, what you have to say uh, is 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 should uh, is is not enough to be heard. Share your knowledge, share your expertise, share it with each other, share it with your friends. Get on podcasts, let your voice be heard. It begins with education, without being condescending. I feel like too many people will come on and be condescending. Um, because there is at the end of the day. That's why I believe um, that there's a nugget of wisdom in every system, and we can all learn from each other. Absolutely. Well, this was wonderful. How can we, how can we support you? I will certainly put all of your links to everything in the podcast notes and the listeners will get all of that. But what are your own goals and what are some tips and advice that you could just kind of give as a takeaway? Well, firstly, thank you for, for uh, asking how you can support me. It's very uh, kind of you to say that. Um, as I say, I, I'm very passionate about empowering through education and uh, we are actually in the process at the moment at Nourishment Vitality of expanding our online course product range 
and uh, we are very interested to align with the um, NGOs and government agencies who are looking to add value to the segments of, the, of society who are the most vulnerable and who are desperately looking for tools and strategies to overcome uh, very difficult uh, personal uh, situations. So uh, anybody out there that's listening that would like to reach out, please do reach out. Uh, I'd love to, to be in touch with you. So that's on that note. What takeaways can I leave for everybody? What if someone's going back over and over and over again and they're, I don't want to say the word fail, but they try a diet, they go back, like you said, the yo-yo dieting. What would you give that person for advice? Well, firstly, fail, first attempt in learning. Um, I believe that uh, at the end of the day, the joy is in the journey of trying, failing, experiencing small wins, trying again getting further along and learning new things. Embrace all your trials and errors, all your imperfections, because this is all part of that journey. I believe that our relationships to our bodies and so our relationships to our lives has to change and embracing all of who you are, all your imperfections, all your trials and your errors is all part of that process. And you said before, and to be kind to yourself always each and every time you know it's so important and to be kind to ourselves because kindness floods the brain with dopamine that feel-good hormone and it also gives us the courage to face those things about ourselves that we may be resisting or not wanting to change it has been an absolute pleasure and joy and it's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show and that with Cheryl Terman of Nourishment Vitality, who gives us wonderful messages on a shame-free approach to body image and food relationships. You can find all of our contacts in the links below, but in the meantime, she is on Facebook and on her website at Nourishment Vitality. And on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, she is at Cheryl Paterman, S-H-E-R-Y-L-P-U-T-E-R-M-A-N. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of SoCal Sweat, and I wish you a wonderful week. Again, we appreciate you for listening, and please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Luminary, Tuned In, or at Believe.com. You can reach out to me for any questions or topics you'd like covered on the show at Anne McDaniels or at Anne McDaniels Actress. And I'll see you next time on So. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.